It's an and, internship, uh, Jared. So, <laughs> yes, exactly. So, and so this one student was struggling with something, and I was trying to help him using Greg's method. Welcome to Stand Up Stand Up, presented by IT Misfits. This is where tech professionals and comedy intersect daily in your new favorite stand-up meet. Each episode has two parts, a roundtable discussion on an IT topic, and then an open source open mic, where each comic shares or works on a stand-up comedy bit. At the end of the week, we perform our final crafted bit. Just like any good stand-up meeting, we try to make these short and valuable. Hopefully, this brings a smile to your day, gives you something to think about, and most importantly, gives you something funny you can share with other IT professionals. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining. Thanks to my fellow misfits. My name is Jerry Black. Let's get into it. Uh, quote for today, find out who you are and do it on purpose. Dolly Parton. I love that quote. I actually have that on a coffee cup. Let's do some open source comedy. All right. Well, people say that everyone in IT is an introvert. And that's not true. I just don't want to talk to you because you're stupid. I don't try and have long conversations with my dog either. Uh, topic for the day, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the interview that we have with Jerry Corley. Now, the interview with Jerry Corley we're having, uh, we're covering this week. And uh, Jerry Corley is a, uh, is a comedy coach. He's a stand-up comic. He's been in the industry for 25 years. His uh, family, I would say, maybe has been in the industry for longer. And actually, Jerry might tell me I'm wrong on the on his time, but um, he's you know he's well known throughout the industry, uh, well respected. We use him to help uh, coach a lot of our uh, comics in our workshops, and he's helped uh, coach me directly. Um, he's got uh, some online classes that you can take. He does some in-person classes that you can take. Some of them are virtual. Some are actual in-person. In he's got some recordings. He's He's got a lot of content out there, and um, he continues to develop it. Jerry Corley's a friend, and he continues to help us all get better at what we do. He is one of the most uh, just kind and open people you can find when it comes to being helpful. Uh, you know, he, he really is amazing with his ability to, to, uh, focus and edit on other people's comedy and punch things up and add tags and add toppers just almost instantaneously. He got the nickname, the joke doctor at the Beverly Hills Friars club uh, years ago. And I would say it stuck with him pretty well. And it's a pretty good uh, moniker. So this is our interview with Jerry Corley. Uh, hope you enjoy. What's going on, Jerry Black? <laughs> I do, Mr. Corley. Good. How are you? Great, man. Get get your hair fixed today. I did. Yeah, yeah. Boy, you should have seen it the and other it day too. So you you reminds me of like uh, I remember there was a character on Murphy Brown, Jim Dial, and uh, uh, he was the anchor. Yeah. And it's like you see him when he before makeup, his hair is just like this fluffy mess. And then it's like during, after makeup, he's just, he looks like, a, you know, he looks like he's an anchor like well you do right together. now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And welcome to the news. Yes. I remember him. He was fine. And what I do is I, uh, <laughs> I have to shave my head. Just take care of it. I don't have to worry. Take care of it. In the Every morning. once in a while, I have to shave and trim up the beard a little, but that's about it. Ah, nice. 
Nice, Pretty easy. Nice. So I got the list of questions. Good questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are and we going to get know, to them all? I don't know. We'll see. It's not a, a you know, it's not hard and fast. It's hey, uh, you know, try and get about uh, kind of. <laughs> I figured about ten to fifteen minutes on on each of those kind of higher level items. And if we do, we end up at 40, 50 minutes or so, then that's perfect. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And then I just, uh, the explanation at the bottom, I wanted you to understand for sure that like, if you go to listen to it on Monday and it was, you know, sort of part of it, you'd be like, what the fuck? You you think the rest of it sucked or something? No, no, no. We just, we just spaced it out over the whole thing. (laughs) It's, um, you know, it's after, after Joel Byers, right? We did Joel Byers. That was a long interview. Right. And it was like, then he broke it up into sections and there's like uh, several others I did. I, the other Joel, uh, I think he broke his up too into little segments as well. It's like, yeah. So it's like, besides, I've been, how how long have I, in this business, how many times have I gotten on to see my shit online and gone, they cut it up. Oh, right. Yeah. Or whatever, Ever? you know, it's like, or they cut out this part and cut out this part. It, it only happened a few times. My dad probably suffered more of that. I mean, he was like in the in a film, they cut out his biggest scene that was just really terrific because the lead actress, I won't mention her name because it would be indiscreet, um, Ashley Judd, she said um, she cut it because it made her look small. Oh, such powerful acting that it kind of overrode her, 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 you know, her starring role in the film. Wow. Yeah, and so oh, she a... had last say that was part of the deal of her being in this indie film, and they oh. cut the entire scene. And he was like, "Why should I even watch this thing now? Because my scene is gone." Oh, that sucks. And dude. it was like really kind of disappointing. But that's yeah. what happens in this in this world, right? If, until you have the power to make that decision. Yeah, you know. Yeah, You're even then... cut any of my scenes, I have to. I have to authorize it. That's got to be the contract. <laughs> and that only happens when you have really powerful agents. Yeah. Yeah. When you're did. just me, you're like, yeah, yeah I'll do the yeah. film. Okay. You cut sure. me. Oh, well, oh, well yeah. you know, <laughs> yes, next well, one. All, all of my film work, I think has been uh, walking behind a, uh, <laughs> walking behind the actors as they're <laughs> acting. And they, well, I wasn't really too right. worried if they cut that scene or not. Right. Atmosphere. Yes. Okay. Atmosphere action. Yeah. Action. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, the only thing, the only thing that's funny with cuts, I, I, you know, we, so we do these shows, right. And so we did one last year. Um, and I did, oh, I hire a guy to record because all the comics are, you know, they're, they're amateurs. And so this great opportunity, it's, it's probably maybe the only time they're ever going to be on stage. So I hire a guy to record it. So I hired a guy to record it. He does it. I felt like it had been my best show. And, and the way I do is I come in, I do the intro. I do like 10 minutes. And then it's comic, comic. We bring on a musical guest, comic, comic, comic. And then I close the show out with a five to 10 minute set, depending on timing. I do this whole bit. My mom is in the audience. I do a whole bit about my mom. It was it was just awesome. And afterwards, you know, I'm waiting for the video, waiting for the video. This guy takes forever to get the video. Um, but he's, you know, he's kind of done three cameras. He's done mic the audience. Like, this is going to be great. And everybody's video is great. And then I'm like, well, where's mine? you know, like the last, the last 10, 15 minutes. And he's like, Oh, I don't know. Did I miss something? That's literally what he messaged me. Oh, did I miss something? I'm like, yeah, like half with like two minutes into my set, the recording just stops. And he's like, Oh, sorry about that. I'll give you $50 off next time. And I was like, (laughs) there is no next time, but fuck you, man. That was it. That was it. 
That was my best set. The best set. Yes, I've had did. that happen, oh. man. Oh wow. And and I've self-edited stuff oh, yeah. or self with I did a a video and um and it was like the in my view, I thought the video was great, but I said, Oh, it was ruined because there's this little sound glitch right here. It goes and I was showing my agent this years later, right? And I'd grown quite a bit. And I was a different comedian. And he watched the video, goes, Jerry, how come you never sent to me? This is an excellent video. I go, no, it's not. There's a right there. You hear it? I go, so he goes, are you fucking kidding me? You don't understand. There's in every piece of video that's out there what's the problem oh man he scolded me uh, and i was like uh right, but he right said that was so. a great piece of video i could have had you had, had a ton of work from that video uh, we could have bypassed a lot of the years we waited for this other stuff if i was able to show those clips wow so it was like you know because you self yeah every in my view it had to be perfect yep and we all know something about perfect there's yeah. no perfect in this business it's like yeah. put out the minimum viable product got to make sure it's viable yes. uh, and then um, and then improve it. Right. Yeah, so it's right. like, got to ship it down. Yeah. So fortunately when I did, when I did um, Annie's in the evening at the improv, even my, I, I disguised my glitch as the cat, as a character, like a little stumble. But I mean, that one, I've got like six applause breaks in that six wow. minutes. I was just, that, that set was like, that was my first television appearance. And wow. it was so tight. Even Bud Friedman said, you got 11 laughs in your first minute, Mr. Corley. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, wow. He said, I go, you count that? He goes, he goes, it's my club. It's my job. And uh, he goes, don't let it go to your head. Phyllis that. Diller had 22. Oh, my you God. Know? And I, I remember that. And I was like, wow, in her first minute, I got to work harder. But he was, even though uh, I thought he was just like saying something on the side. And then the talent coordinator, I went to audition for him later when he was at FX. And he's like, oh, my God, Jerry Corley. I remember I was the, he goes, I was the talent coordinator on A&E when you did your first spot there. And I go, you remember that? Bud said it was the one of the best A&Es he's, he's seen. Wow. I go, What? He said it was so tight. The jokes were so crisp. We were getting such great laughs. Oh, and they said, man. I did not. If I would have known that information, I would have asked Bud for so much more. Yeah, right. You know, I thought oh, it was just wow. like, but he was so impressed. He says he was so impressed, Jerry. I got it. And he kept going on and on about it. And wow. I'm like, now you're making me feel uncomfortable. Like I did something wrong because I didn't follow up. I didn't know that. Yeah, right. He said, did you did didn't you feel the hug Bud gave you? He gave you a big hug. And he's a sweaty guy. <laughs> I go, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. funny. I remember that. Oh, but, you know, cool. Bud was great. And he treated me well. And he, uh, you know. But to him, it was all about structure. Ah. You know, you knew what you're doing. I could tell you knew how to tell a joke. I, yeah. I could tell you were in charge. You knew those jokes were planted there and they were going to work. You weren't just wandering, hoping the so audience would laugh a at a moment you know, and it was just like, here it is. Here's the joke. Here's the joke. Yep. You can still piece together the story, but it's like haiku. It's got to make sense. It's got to come to something. It's got to fill a rhythm. It's got to, you know, it is like, how do you, how do you make a piece of music? It's got to have a beginning, middle and end. It's got to resolve. It's got to create tension and release the same thing with, it's got to have the, it's got to have the stanzas. It's got to have the intro. It's got to have the bridge. It's got to take us to the end. It's got to have the chorus. So we feel the, you know, how would, how would all songs work this way? And it's like, it doesn't go, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That's my song. 
No, no, it's got to have something. <laughs> it's my song. That's awesome. Uh, well, it's, we're already into it a little bit, I think, right? So I know, uh, right? kind of comedy one. You said it was casual. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Here with, here with Jerry Corley, um, and uh, I love it, right? It's and so the but the, one of one of the first questions, and and I, I, you and I have talked before, and you know I'm a big fan, um, but. And so I'm going to try and maintain control during the interview and not not just be a, not just fanboy. What out, I noticed but... is your name is Jerry Black and I'm the one wearing black. That's what I noticed. <laughs> I can't wear people. I can't wear black. It's all it's too on the nose. The people are like, oh, I see. I get it. I get it. I can't do it. Um, so how did you get into how did you get into Hami? You you've been in it for for uh, quite a while. How did it start? They're over 30 years now. Yeah. yeah. So I got in like at 27. It's late compared to a lot of comedians today. I mean, sure, Chappelle yeah. got in at 14, right? So I was an actor, musician, I played professional soccer uh, for a short period of time because I, uh, you know, my, because I sucked, basically, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's like, um, I played, but I did play pro at 19. Um, oh. It was a feeder team to the, you know, the league that was in America at the time. It wasn't quite the MLS, uh, but it was the precursor to that, had the Cosmos and things like that. We used to practice in the Cosmos field and wow. New York Cosmos. And it's like, so, um, but I, then I came out to California, played in a team here and then, um, you know, it wasn't, a, we weren't making a lot of money. It was a stipend basically per month, but you're still considered, I didn't even know I was pro. I just know they were giving me money at the end of every month. And we had a manager carried all our gear to the field, every game. And it's like, I'd even know I signed a piece of paper. I thought it was like, in case I get injured, they, I won't hold them liable. But and no, it was a contract to play on a team. It was it's that like, kind of. It's like this is how you join the circus. Like I didn't, I didn't know yeah. I was joining the circus, mom. And all of a sudden, yeah. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm I'm running away from lions. So, anyway, so I played on that league, and it was a lot of fun. But I was also a musician and an actor. So then on my twenty, and I was getting commercials and stuff. I had this great head of red hair, and I saw wow. my dad go through the ups and downs of being an actor. And it's, you know, it was hit and miss. And sometimes he'd hit something and be, have, make some money. All of a sudden there's an actor strike and then he had to sell a house. And then, and then there was another one. There's an actor strike and a director strike. Had to sell another house. Wow. So it was like, but it was like in the stress, I remember the, of my parents going through that kind of stress every time that was happening. Uh, it's, it's a feast or famine type of thing. Then finally he hit Murphy Brown for 10 years in a series and he and my mom were set for life. Right. So that was so neat to see them go through that, that all the challenges and stick to their dream and, and get finally hit that piece that kept them going. Uh, now that being said, I was, in, so as an actor, I was like doing commercials and all of a sudden my hair started to recede. So I had this red hair started to recede and the, my casting directors, uh, were like, Jerry, we love you, but we don't know where to put you. Hmm. You are like, you've got receding hairline and baby face. So it was like, uh, we, you can't sell beer. I go, I'm Ron Howard. That's who I am. That's what's happening. I better figure something out. So I said, I got to learn how to work when I'm not working. What did he do? He uh, went into directing. That was easy, directing and producing, because he was already a name, right? So it's like, sure. all right, he already had success, a lot of success as an actor. So he had some power connected and had a lot of relationships. So I said, what can I do? And um, I said, maybe I'll try the stand-up thing. I saw an ad. I took out the ad. I went and went to a class. And then uh, I learned a little bit. Who taught the class? My first it was Greg Dean. Greg Dean. Okay, great. 
Greg Dean. So he taught me a couple of things and I was like, that was good. But then I realized there was a limit to what he was able to teach. Uh, Greg kind of has uh, an insecurity issue of his own. And I was like, oh, where can I see you do stand up, Greg? He goes, uh, I don't do stand up anymore. And I was like, why not? Well, it's a cutthroat business. And I was like, oh, you can't handle the, you can't handle it or mm. whatever. But he got in a big fight with me one time because I was trying to help a student make something funny. And I, I was, he, he called me his assistant. Greg Dean was like, you're my, you're working as my assistant, which means I do a lot of shit for him for free, for free classes. Right. It's an and, internship. Um, so, <laughs> yes, exactly. So, and so this one student was struggling with something. And I was trying to help him using Greg's method, right? Ah. This four-step cycle of success, he called it. Okay. And I was like, you, he's like, where you try something and then you try it again. And then if it doesn't work, you have to change what you're doing and then try it again. But if you can't do it the same way, because it's basically like Einstein's theory of insanity. If you keep uh, doing yeah. the same thing and not having any success and you try to do it the same way, over and over again and still uh, thinking you're going to succeed. It's not going to work. So what I did was Greg kept coaching this guy and going, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about this? How do you feel about it? I go, what do you think you are an acting coach? Mm. And it's like, and I think acting coaches, any kind of creative arts coaches have to realize when they're beyond their credential. Cause this huh. guy, this, this artist, this comedian, obviously was talking about his dad and there were some issues there. There was some trauma present. Uh. And it was like, you can only go so far with this. Sure. You've got to keep it in funny zone, you know? And it's like, um, and it goes, starts to go beyond that. And it goes you're to therapy. Not, especially, yeah, especially in early comedy, like when you're just beginning. Yeah. Like when you're Tig Notaro and she's got some experience and starts talking about the cancer and getting real, that's sure. a, she's, she's at a different level. She can handle that. But this guy was new and you could see him visibly starting to shake and get frustrated. And he was a big dude. I was like, oh. this dude could, you know, rip our heads off. So I finally said, hey, Jeff, Here's a, Greg has all these emotions down on this page here. Can you select one of these emotions and select one that like when you just think about your dad, when you start to joke, one of these or two of these that you think relate to that. He goes, oh, this one and this one. I said, could you play those while you're saying this line? He goes, what about if you play this going into it, the happy part? And then when you get to this part, you play this part. And he goes, oh, I could do that. Yeah. And so he does the bit and he changes it to something like, you know, my dad was, uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. and all of a sudden now we're, we're, then it worked and he got a right. big laugh and applause. So Greg, instead of going, wow, that was terrific. You got past this obstacle. He looks at me. He goes, see me after class. Yeah. He was mad at me for helping this dude because how dare you usurp my authority in class. I go, dude, it's not yeah, about you. Yeah, right. That's it's about like, this guy. It's about the comedy. Yeah. Comedy wins. Comedy wins. Like, Got like it. if I'm in a class and somebody comes up with a better joke than me, it's a celebration. Yeah, right. It's a victory. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I, I, there are you certainly know? times where you like, you're talking with people and you're like, man, that that's so darn funny. I wish I thought of that joke. But it, but... <laughs> exactly. Oh man, I wish I would have come up with that. But you know, and you celebrate the fact that they come came right. up with it, yeah. and what it does for you. If you're listening closely enough, you start to begin to explore, oh, I see where that may have come from. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's an opening I can use later on myself to help solve this puzzle. Ah. Right? 
You know, what do they use? They use comedic irony. I haven't been using comedic irony in a while. I've been just looking yeah. for the reverse. Yeah. Here's an idea, you yeah, know. That's a great point. And then so it opens that up for you. So Got it's it. like, um, so every time you teach, you learn twice, right? So uh, if you're listening. Yeah, right. Now, so it started with Greg. Yeah, And right. the first time on stage, I go, oh, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. And then, so I started to, I do a, did a showcase. And then, then after that, I was like, I started looking for open mics mm-hmm. and started, you know, being with these other comics in class, some of them were, Hey, we're doing a mic over here. Hey, we're doing, a, so it was so, sort of word of mouth. Then I learned that you could look in backstage West and find out where open mics were. And sometimes they would be in other, uh, you know, you know, trade magazines that were dealing with like in variety or uh, in there was one, one thing, one magazine called drama log, which was basically bought by this magazine called backstage West here, here in LA. And it showed all the stuff that was going on. Now you could get, there are a couple of like free newspapers that uh, LA weekly will post um their open mics and things now it's online you right. can go to la comedy bureau you can go to uh the or the comedy bureau you can go to another one called uh badslava.com and yeah. now there is um dead frog right oh. uh dead hyphen frog.com um nice. or org i think uh that has all this stuff dealing with comedy so now you can find a lot of open mics and also facebook groups and things like that so sure. it's like there is, you can find it out there. Yeah. And then I started going to these mics, testing material, writing material, reading about uh, comedy, getting every video I could of every comedian I could find, record every special, ask myself, what makes me laugh about this guy and not this guy? What's the difference? And I started transcribing the jokes. Then I found Gene Parrott, who was Bob Hope's head writer, and one of the top Hollywood writers, uh, joke writers of all time. Yep. And um, so he had a correspondence course and, uh, my, when I told my dad, I wanted to do comedy, he says, well, you got to get a coach. I was like, there's no coaches in comedy, dad. There's no coaches in comedy. You don't just get up there and you do it. That's all mm. you get up there and you do it. Right. And so my mother gives me a writer's digest, you know, just happened to show up in my mailbox uh, at my nice. apartment. Nice. Right? And it's like, so she, she got me op, opted me into a subscription to Writer's Digest. In the back of Writer's Digest was a, an ad for a correspondence course to write comedy. And it was Gene Parrott's course. Yeah. So I started to take that course. And then I said, hey, is there any chance we can meet privately at one-on-one? And he said, where do you live? I said, Chatsworth. He says, I live in, I'm in Studio City. Why don't we meet at the Daily Grill? It, was like, I, it wasn't the Daily Grill at the time. It was a, another coffee shop. And I met him there and we hit it off and we started doing weekly meetings. And then when he couldn't do it, he turned me on to his, um, his, his uh, associate uh, and um, his, uh, one of his protégés, who was a lawyer who did the same thing I was doing, the correspondence course. He was a lawyer in San Francisco. And then he was like the only guy that ever went through all his exercises. He goes, I don't know what to do with you except to bring you down to LA and get you a job. Huh. And so he's like, okay. So he submitted him, got him a job at Dean Martin Roasts, and then wow. um, and then got him a meeting with uh, Bob Hope. Wow. And so that's how that one worked. And so then I started to learn him, started to learn how to write jokes. And um, and that was my the biggest thing for me is like, I think that's one of my things too. I need to know how to do it before I get up and do it. Huh. You know what I'm got saying? I, yep. So I said, so when there are people in my class that are really quiet and they just listen, I go, they're going to wind up being good because they're mm. just listening and they don't want to participate for a few classes because they're not sure yet. But they're, that's like me. 
I just sat there quietly and I test it at home and then go, okay, before I make a huge mistake and humiliate myself, I better know what I'm doing. So that's what I would do. And so I would uh, practice it and test it in front of people. And they go, yeah, that's funny. And then I go try it out on stage. And the better I got, the more confident I got. And so that's how I started. I wanted to be able to work when I wasn't working. Yeah, okay. That's it for today's stand-up meeting. Remember, this isn't just a podcast. It's a weekly process to find the funny. You are front row at the birth of any of this comedy. It's open source. So please... Feel free to share this with people that you work with. If you share something funny with other people, their day will be brighter, and you'll be amazed at how much better your day is because of it. Thank you very much for being here. Have a great day.